0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook weekly podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. We are on our third week of Advent. Uh, On our first week, uh, Pastor talked about hope. Uh, We had... uh, Bill, talk about faith. Today, we we already lit the candle. We're talking about having joy. Um, we're going to dive into that today, but before we do that, let's just go ahead and pray, and then we'll go into today's message. Father God, we just thank you for this this day, this moment, this time together, that as we as we uh, read your word, as we grow, as we develop uh, from glory to glory, God, you continue to, to stretch us, that so we don't stay as infants in your word and infants in our deeds, but God, I just thank you that you continue to to uh, expound who we are, to be more like you. We just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Years ago, uh, I mean years ago, cool, just thinking about it, it's probably closer to two decades ago, um, I had the privilege of going to Ukraine, um, which is in the eastern block of of Europe, which used to be the Soviet Union, and do missions work there a couple of different occasions. And uh, the people there that we were able to minister to were unbelievably poor. And When I say poor, I don't mean our Western American context of poor, like I'm poor because my car has 150,000 miles on it, or yeah, I grew up poor because I got hand-me-down clothes, or even I got, I'm poor because I have an EVT card or anything like that. No, no I mean legitimate poor. Poor in the sense of you haven't eaten for a plurality of days, not because you're fasting, but because you're poor. You had no food and you had no money. There was no opportunities. There was just nothingness. Unbelievable amount of poverty. Uh, We were there, I don't remember how many days, but we did a conference that was about seven days, I know for sure. And in those conferences, we would speak in the morning. We would do a couple of classes in the afternoon. We would do a night service every single day and i would watch some of the same people come every single day wearing the exact same outfit and the reason why is because it was that or their uniform like right now if you go into my house as in many of yours we say we have no clothes but the reality is we have no clothes we want to wear when they had no clothes they had no clothes it was you know it is what it is it was it was ridiculously um, crazy. And, and I've been to a lot of conferences, I don't know if you've been to a lot of conferences or have been to one, but as a speaker and a participator, you get exhausted around day three. Anybody else been there? Like, you may not be speaking, you may not be preaching, you may not be doing anything but soaking it in, but usually about day three or four, even just sitting there, you're exhausted. You've been absorbing so much information, you've been going through so many things that you are, are, are tired. And in the States... Um, one thing that they did there was that they would schedule on day, I think it was seven, eight, nine, and ten. They would schedule pre-service prayer beforehand. Now, in the states, uh, pre-service prayer is like going to the previews of a movie. You can miss it. Am I the only one that that can relate to that? Every time that we have in, in my past, <laughs> this is jeez, we've done a hey, we're going to pray before service, you should come, it's on average a good prayer service if 10% show up. Is that, that's a good, my word, people are here to pray, the church is hungry for a move of God, 10% showed up. So when we show up to the venue to, to get ready to speak, we uh, got delayed by the police, and we get there and... uh it had already started the prayer service, and as we walk in, I can hear more of, more of a roar kind of sound. I'm like, "Man, what's what's going on?" And I looked at my interpreter and asked her, "I'm like, what's that sound?" And she said, "Prayer." And I said, "Are you sure?" And I popped my head in when I tell you it was standing room only after a week straight of services, and the amount, the roar of prayer of these people participating was unbelievable. And I looked at her and I said, this is this is crazy. And she said, y'all don't do this in the States? And I said, no. No. This is, <laughs> no. No. A good prayer service is about 10% of our population. If they are walking in, they're usually talking as they're coming in. And usually people are going to separate corners. But when I tell you the, the amount of energy that was there was unbelievable. And I think for me... I was standing there because these people who they were praying and seeking God she says the problem is we weren't allowed to do this for most of our lives and now we can It's freezing cold literally it's snowing outside some of these people have come in on the exact same and hap- the same same outfits they've been wearing all day they had been, had family members, that I'm hearing later on, that were persecuted, when I say persecuted, not, oh, you're a Christian, you're stupid, but persecuted as in imprisoned, kept falsely accused, beaten, going through all of their stuff. Some of these people were in poverty, not because they were made bad decisions, but because everything was taken from them. One story that I'll never forget is this lady who had money, who was decent, had a decent house was robbed completely, called the police, and the police knew who did it, but because she was a believer, they wouldn't persecute or prosecute the other people. There was no insurance. She's just out. You get to this place where these people with unbelievable poverty, dealing with hardships, had every reason to come before God angry. God, we were persecuted in your name, yet they came in with joy. They came in with passion, with power, and it has still to this day struck me so bizarre because one thing that I realized is this, is that God's kind of joy is not able to be taken by any form of the world system. These people had every right to come in grumpy, yet they came in on fire. They came in with passion. They came in going through. If you have your Bible open to John chapter fifteen, I just I, I was meditating on this scripture this past week, and I love this verse nine says this. This is Jesus speaking: "As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide." in my love. Verse 10 says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You can see there's a correlation of when I do what the father says, I am in him. If you do what I say, you are in me. You guys get this. And if you are in Him, you are in the Father. This is the bouncing ball that we're following here. Verse 11 changes all these things. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Joy is something... That God wants to fill you up with. This is just water. Don't freak out. We can get a shot back. And by me, we, I mean me. Um, Joy is like this for us we have a little bit. It's good, it's a process that's taken place in our lives. Things have happened. Can I tell you, a lot of times, joy is more or less can be seen as making. Deposits and withdrawals. See, if Jesus says that I, I want that your joy may be full, it means that there's a way that it cannot be full. Let's just play the opposites right now for a second. And what God is, what Jesus is saying is be in line with me and I will fill you up. And what happens a lot of times is that we have these problems, we have these circumstances, we, have, we go through all of these issues that take our joy. This is what's taken place in many of our lives. Maybe it was 2020, the entire year. (laughs) Maybe that's what's going on. And what's happening is, is that we have this problem where we have conditional joy and we have positional joy. Conditional joy is always having an excuse of why I don't have what I should have. Conditional joy is me blaming somebody else on why I can't be happy. You know what the funny thing is? A lot of times, we want to blame people that don't even know we exist. Why can't I be happy? Oh, the government. You know, he doesn't get a letter in the mail if you pass away. Like, he's not, oh, my goodness, I didn't know. You know why? He doesn't even know you exist. And that's not a Republican, Democrat, independent thing. None of them know you exist whether you are a pro-Biden or a pro-Trump or you don't like any of them, none of them know you exist. You know what you are? A number. So why am I getting conditional joy by a number? Somebody who doesn't even know that I exist. I've known people who've gotten really, really upset because they wrote a letter to a TV preacher who didn't write them back. What we doing, y'all? See, conditional joy always wants to blame somebody for why I can't be happy. Have you ever met somebody that's not happy unless they're unhappy? You know what I'm talking about, that person? They seem to get more joy talking about how horrible their life has been. All right, I ain't getting no love in this place today. Drink me some joy. See, positional joy though changes things. Because here's the truth. God is always pouring. And we're complaining. What positional joy wants to do is you got to line up under the flow. But God, I'm so mad. I got problems. Just line up. Get under the flow of who he is and what his promises are. Because positional joy is dependent on where you are, not what's going on around you. I did pretty good. It got on me, but it's all good. Because somebody who understands positional joy understands that all they have to do is align themselves. When I use the word positional joy, I want you to picture yourself going to a chiropractor. Have you ever had a a, a bulging, some problem in your back and you are desperately in need of alignment? Y'all know what I'm talking about. You woke up the wrong way. You tied your shoe the wrong. The craziest thing about getting older is that you can go work out heavily all day. Wake up the next morning, bend over to tie your shoes and oh, it's, it, you know what I'm talking about. It seems to be for me. Can I tell you something? It seems to be not the big things that throw me out of alignment, but the small things. Because mentally I can prepare for the big things. Whenever I'm digging or raking or doing whatever's going on, I'm I'm watching my posture and how I'm digging something out, but I'm just picking up a cup, I'm just tying my shoe, I'm emptying the dishwasher, it's the small things that seemingly mess me out of alignment, and then I stand up and something's wrong. And what happens in our lives a lot of times is that life has been dealing with the small things just tapping at us and has caused us to get out of alignment, and if you ever have been in desperate need of a chiropractor, you get it. Because when you're out of alignment, you walk different. Yeah, exactly. You calculate every step. You have to go to the bathroom and you go, I can wait 10 more minutes. <laughs> I didn't say you wear depends, Kim. <laughs> I've had a lot of people shout things at me, but she just said, depends. And I'm like, whoa, easy. She caught the spirit on that one. All right, here we go. When we're at a position, we walk in pain. We move in pain. And we have to go to a place to get realigned. A few years back, I fell off of a ladder and broke my back. I don't remember the fall. I remember just waking up in the hospital. Now, there's a long story of how all this takes place why my dad kicked it out from under me. But, the <laughs> but what's happening is that I woke up in a hospital. I, I fail, don't remember the fall, don't remember the concrete, but I do remember waking up. You know what's the weirdest thing about a lot of us is that we've had these falls in life that we hardly remember their, fa- their, their fuzzy. We just remember the aftermath that took place. The doctor was concerned based on where I broke my back that maybe I was gonna have n- nerve damage or be paralyzed or go through all those things. So they're doing the MRIs and the, the tests and, and all those things that are taking place. And what's going on is that my back has compressed and shattered itself as you would see a demolition at a, at a building where each floor just brings down the, back, the rest. That's what's happening in my spine up high, middle, and low, and it's been one of those doo doo doosh. it was just compressed. The doctor tells me good news and bad news. The good news is you can move your legs. The bad news is you're going to go through a lot of pain. My question to him was, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And so he signs me up for physical therapy. He signs me up for chiropractors. He signs me up for all of these things for me to go and and take care of myself. Can I tell you something about physical therapy? It was horrible. These people get paid to put you in pain. Good money. Hindsight, I think I would have been a good physical therapist. You're going to pay me to hurt you? bet. Where was that at a career day? I want to know. Just like the same people who get paid to shoot frozen turkeys at airplane windshields to see how strong they are. That's a real job. Did you know that? That's a real job. Somebody gets paid to freeze a turkey or a chicken and launch them at airplane windshields to see if they can withstand the the impact, as if it's a bird getting hit by a 747. 747. Right? I would have had so much fun. Anyways, I go to get my physical therapist and I'm getting frustrated because I don't like what I'm doing. He's having me manipulate my back and do things that are painful. I'm, I'm, I'm having to, to lift weights, I'm having to move, I'm having to squat, and I'm having a hard time normally just getting out of bed and he's over here having me get on a treadmill and a stair climber and all these other things, and it's just ridiculous. And I didn't feel like going, not because I was lazy, but because I didn't like the pain. He, what he was telling me to do hurt. And he looks at me and says, I'm telling you to go through pain today so that you can play with your kids tomorrow. Because he knew that this pain that I'm about to experience for the next few weeks, would set me up to have a pain-free life and be able to play with my kids. So he sits me down, and he tells me, you've got two options. We can go through this regimen, and it's going to be painful. In fact, his words were just embrace the suck. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. Or you don't have to. You don't have to do it. We can sign you up with a surgeon, and we're going to put a rod down your spine. We'll give you pain meds. You won't feel a thing. But the difference is, on one side, you'll be able to run and play with your kids. On the other side, you'll be, you'll be stiff for the rest of your life. What kind of pain do you want? Do you want the pain right now of just bearing down and getting it, or... Or do you want the pain of sitting there going, I wish I could have, I should have, but I didn't? Because it's all about getting in alignment. It's all about making sure you're finding yourself in proper alignment with who he is. A few days ago, a few days after that, I go there and I see this lady. He So he's got me, he's... he's He's got me doing these stretches. He's got me doing these workouts. He's got me sent to a chiropractor. He sent me to this place, this pain management place, that sticks epidural needles in your spine multiple times a month. What's with that? Like, I'm not pregnant. I was like, I'm fat, but I wasn't pregnant at the time. I'm like, come on, my dude. In, my, in the bottom, back of my neck. And you can hear your cartilage crunch. Yeah, I was there. He did everything that I needed him to do except for one thing, no massage therapy. And there's this lady laying there, and she's got all these heating pads on her and this this machine and everything else. And I looked at him, and I said, how come? And he goes, because she quit. She quit. She doesn't want to do it. And I went, okay. Okay. Aligning yourself up with joy in a season of life that is unhappy is a painful process. But it's a faithful and workful process. When I go back into my mind about the moments that I had at the the multiple mission fields that we would go to, their joy in their pain spoke more to me than any message I've ever prepared for. Because as they were going through physical and spiritual hell, they would walk with smiles on their face. It reminds me of the Old Testament when they look at Peter and they tell him, we're going to kill you or stop. Paul, we're going to kill you or stop. The disciples, the mission, we're going to kill you or else. And the answer, to die is gain, to live is gain. How do you you deal with that? How do you kill somebody who doesn't mind being killed? How do you crush somebody who goes, take it away, I don't care. It's better on there anyways. When his options are, A, I change the world I'm in now, or B, I go to a better world. These people are going, it is what it is. Not the, it is what it is, woe is me, I'm a horrible, no good, no, no. Their answer was, do your worst. It's whatever. They didn't have the best life. They were treated unfairly. They were victimized. They were oppressed. They were abused. All the things that they had done that they could have been done to them and give them an opportunity and a reason to get bitter and to be unjoyful and to have all of these problems, yet they stopped and said, I'm not going to trade my eternal joy for a temporary circumstance. Because our goal today is to find ourselves rooted in a type of joy that no world can ever touch. Three things. Number one, positional joy is of the Spirit. Positional joy is of the Spirit. That means you can't make it happen. You can't turn it on. You can't turn it off. You can't will it into existence. Happiness is something that can be faked. We all know that you ever been in a a nasty, just horrible, no-good, very bad day? Maybe you got in a fight with somebody, argument. It was just horrible. And then somebody goes, time to take a photo. And everybody does their quick smile. And then click. You're mean-mugging somebody as you walk away. Happiness can be faked. Happiness can be turned on and turned off. Happiness, there's nothing wrong with happiness. Be happy. But happiness is as consistent as the wind. In Galatians five twenty two through 23, it says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Notice that joy isn't something that comes from being conjured up. It is the second evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. It is a fruit of His Spirit. Joy comes from here. The Spirit is not on a Christmas budget. Before December was even here, like many of you guys, I set a budget for Christmas presents. I looked at who I was buying for, how much money I had to spend. Then, you know, you create a scale, like many of us do. Hypothetically, you have $500 to spend this year. You've got 10 gifts. You don't just go, everybody gets 50. You should probably go, I'm going to give my wife a little more than Aunt Susie. I'm going to give my kids a little more than the guy I don't like. Y'all, y'all get what I'm saying? You, you create that. Now what's happening right now is that we're going to God about joy, and, he's, and we're expecting him to be like, man, listen, 2020 was rough. Kind of put me back a little bit. A lot of people were asking for joy, I'm sorry. Maybe next year I get a new batch coming in. Harvest looks good. No. Because God gets excited when you ask for his joy. Because when somebody has his joy, it is a marker or an indicator of his spirit in them. But then I was meditating on this, and it kind of sometimes the simple things hit me in the gut harder than the the, the deeper theology issues that we go through. We pray and we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. How, how do you know you have patience? You get tried. Do you have love because everything is just, oh, Hallmark movies? No. You know you have love when somebody is giving you the opportunity not to have love. So why is it that we get frustrated when we have an opportunity to just demonstrate joy? To demonstrate joy would mean you have the opportunity to be ungrateful. A fruit of the spirit of joy is only indicated when you have an opportunity to be without joy. We hate difficult times. Can I tell you, I hate waiting. Anybody else? You hate waiting. Dad, you better raise your hand because... (laughs) We will go through McDonald's and if they aren't doing NASCAR moves out the window, where's my food? I've told dad, I'll tell you now, listen, do not talk back to the people who you can't see. And if so, make sure it's two separate orders. We hate difficult times. We hate the tension and the sorrow, but the evidence is only seen when the fruit is needed. Joy over hardships is something that we have when the Spirit wins over. But I wonder how many times I have settled for just being numb instead of exceeding joy. I I was praying about this verse, and that's one thing that God really hit me on this past weekend was, Pete, a lot of times you, me Pete, and other believers, as long as they're not experiencing pain, they're okay. They will settle for being numb instead of settling for being full of joy. What we do is that we shut down our spirit. We lock down our hearts to protect ourselves from the pain. It's like when you see those doomsday bunkers. They're really, really cool. I don't know if there's, I think it was the National Geographic has a really cool show. Some of these things are, people are buying these missile silos and creating doomsday bunkers. It's unbelievable. You know what they do? Is they protect themselves from any outside influence. But you know what they also do? is they hinder themselves from anything good coming in. And what's happening when we walk with a spirit that is numb is we're guarding ourselves from both the enemy and from God's love. See, joy needs an open door to come into your life. And if we're guarding who we are, we're just going to find ourselves isolated and numb. Sure, no more bad things can happen, but nothing good is either coming. Just because you're not experiencing pain does not mean that you're operating in spiritual joy. Because joy, hear me out, is refreshing. Joy is life-giving. Joy is more than happiness. John Piper says a Christian joy is, is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit. As he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, And through the world. Number two, positional joy is rooted in hope. Pastor preached on our first Advent candle on hope a couple of weeks ago, and what we have to know is that where you place your hope indicates where your joy comes from. What that means is that if you're hoping for something that cannot satisfy you, you will be frustrated, agitated, disappointed, aggravated, any of the other aids that you want to go through. But one thing that I can tell you is that if you hope on something that will not fail you, you can have real joy. Luke chapter 2 goes like this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and, and this is verse 25, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. In other words, he was led by the Spirit. And when he saw the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Now you have prepared in the presence of all people a light revelation to the Gentiles for the glory of your people Israel and his father and his mother marveled at what has said to him and Simeon blessed them and said to his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising up of many of Israel for a, and a sign that is opposed a sword shall pierce through his own soul for your, through your own soul so that from the hearts of many shall be revealed notice Simon here is waiting for something he's hoping for something what's he hoping for the consolation of Israel he has a word from god that he will see it he's going to do it the verse says that it had been revealed to him that the holy spirit through the holy spirit that he would not die before it's taken place the problem is we don't know when that was he could have gotten that word at 18 years old it doesn't say he woke up the day before and god goes hey by the way today is your favorite day no Simon placed his hope in the promise of God, not, here's the thing that gets me, not for the desires of his own heart or mind, but for God's will to be done. Many times I get a word from God, like many of you do. Maybe he speaks to you, and I want to paint the picture. You get a word, I'm going to bless you. Amen. Boom, you're house shopping the next day. How much is that Mercedes going to cost 6,000 square foot house? I need 15,000 square foot. You start going through all of these things. I'm getting blessed. I'm getting blessed. I'm getting blessed. Can I tell you, you are getting blessed, but your job is not to hold a paintbrush. Your job is to contend for his word. So you see, he didn't sit there and go through it and determine what it should have looked like. What he did, notice this, he was led by the Spirit. And that spirit connected him. And when his spirit recognized that child, something leapt inside of himself to go, that's the one. How many children did he bless before he found the one? How many mothers put their child in his arms? And he goes, maybe today's the day, God. It's a good kid. Got a call in his life. Not the one. Not the one. Not the one. I wonder how many not the ones he went through before he found the one. But you know what he did? He didn't put his hope in that day. He put his hope in the giver of the promise. I love this part because in your rooted hope, you can have active patience. He didn't sit on his front porch with a sweet tea and go, well, God, when it happens, it happens every day he would go to the temple and bless kids, expecting that maybe today would be the day. What happens to me a lot of times, and maybe to you also, is that we get a word and we're like, I'm retiring. He said, I'm going to be blessed. I I, I remember watching my, my mom and my dad go through this because they had a word about being blessed long before they actually saw the blessing. You know what my dad didn't do when he got that word? He didn't quit his job. He didn't sit at home waiting for checks in the mail. You know what he did? He worked. He had active patience. He worked and did things that he didn't want to do. He didn't sit back, well, I got a word. I'm not not cleaning that toilet. I'm, I'm blessed. You know what he would do? Ah, he knew he was already blessed. So he would start cleaning in advance. And I'll never forget the word that he told me when I was going through an internship program, which meant I was a janitor. And he, so he sounds good. You're an intern. You're an, you're an, you know what? I was paying to be an intern. To Think about that. I'm paying them to clean their toilets. That's a good gig. Whoever came up with that is a genius. You know what my dad said? Son, you are the blessing. Whatever you touch will prosper. So be praying a blessing over every toilet seat that you clean. That's a different mindset. David was blessed. He was anointed and went back to the sheep. That's called patient expectation of what's about to take place, because the hope was in the promise maker. Notice verse 27, he came to the temple led by the Spirit. I wonder what church would look like if that we came to church being led by the Spirit with an expectation that God was going to do something. Think about that, Miss Elaine. What that would be like if every person came in going, I've got a word for today. I'm bringing something in. But Pete, you don't get it. I've had such disappointment in my life. You're right. I don't get it. I I, I don't. I haven't been in your shoes. And while I have my own disappointments, and I've got my own pain, and I've got my own issues, I won't say that they're equal to your issues or pain. But what's one great thing about this passage that we skip over really quick is as we keep reading verse 36, a new character comes on the scene. See, Luke chapter 2 is our Christmas story. And what we're seeing here is a new person comes on the scene. So Simeon gets a word from God, and he's got patient expectation of what's going on. Then a new character comes on the scene. Verse 36 says this, And there was a prophetess named Anna. She was advanced in her years. Does anybody want to take a guess what that means? She old. Advanced in years. That's a good one. How old are you? I'm advanced in years. Yeah, okay listen to this, having lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Married seven years, then he dies. That's young. And now she's 84. She did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Notice her act of hope, her act of joy. She had had a hard time. She was a widow. She'd waited her whole life. And all of a sudden, she has these plans of kids, plans of grandkids, all of these wonderful things of growing old and gray with the person that she loves, and then he dies, and it's all taken away. She worshipped, she fasted, she prayed continually. It was on this day that both Simeon's word and the faithfulness of Anna was linked up together in one baby, in one child. Act of hope doesn't cost your joy as long as it's rooted in something that will not fail you. In a few days, some of you will sit around trees and open presents, gifts that will be the future of garage sales. But you do it for the brief joy and happiness it brings to somebody else. Uh, I uh, don't have my kids uh, for Christmas like normal, or like I did last year. What happens for me this year is that I have my kids, and then at noon on Christmas Day, they'll go to their mom's house, which means whatever we open up on Christmas Day, they don't get to play with, they go. Okay? So what I decided to do was create an event. For three Fridays in a row, leading up to Christmas, they get to open up a gift. And what they're gonna do is they get to play with that one gift for the entire week. And then the next Friday, they have another one. So what's happening in my family's life is they have an expectant and activeness of joy for Fridays. A principal goes, "Well, yeah, I got get you. I hear you, Mr. Garr. And activeness maybe I should move it to Mondays. Maybe they'd be happy about school on Monday uh, and an activeness an anticipation of what is to come. I get to watch them wake up on Fridays. Every day can we open our gift now? And every day I say, it's after school. They know my answer, but they're already so excited about what's to come, they can't wait. So at 3 o'clock when I get them out of school, hey kids, how was your day? Doesn't matter, Dad. Let's go home. (laughs) One of the things I did for my son, though, is I got him a gift he never asked for. He wasn't expecting it. And for me as a dad, I watched him Excited about opening a gift, but he had no idea what the gift was. And he opens it up, and the look of shock and awe on his face was worth every penny that I spent because it shook him to his core of, I can't believe I'm holding this. Matthew 11, 7 11 tells us this, if you are evil and know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? How much more does the heavenly Father know how to give gifts to you? When you ask for joy, he's not shooting you down. He's not bringing you down. He wants to give you hope, joy joy that is rooted in hope, a gift that will not fade, a gift that will not break, a gift that you don't have a receipt for that you can take back. Joy that will not be gone after the shininess is worn off. A day with expectation does not fail when it's full of joy. And that's the difference between happiness and joy, isn't it? Happiness doesn't last long. If you're happy, you're happy. While joy longs for an expectation for something to come. Maybe that's where I need to sit there for just, just a quick second. Joy is an expectation of things not yet met. Waiting in my life has been sabotaged. And is now the evidence of God not giving me what I want when I want it. For millennia, God prophesied of a Christ. For a millennia, these prophets lived, spoke, and knew they were going to die in hope. Yet, they didn't call that disappointment. But when I pray, when I give, when I fast, and I don't get it in 20 minutes or less, because joy is an expectation of what is to come. It's looking forward. Theologians call it like this. Uh, Our time period is, is this. It's the already, but not yet. It's the space between. It's that space between we know what Christ has done, yet we're not living in the fullness of it. Am I the only one who's been caught in between that reality? I know what the Word says. I know what's going to happen, but I'm right here, God. Has anybody else been in that spot before? It's that stuck spot of between two realities that we're finding ourselves in. And I understand that we have won, but I don't see the victory yet. In January 1st, 1863, our nation was changed forever. On that day, the Emancipation Proclamation went into full decree. Abraham Lincoln made the decree that all slaves would be free. But can I tell you something? Even though the decree was made, what we see right now that's taking place is what we would call Juneteenth, which is June 19th, 1885, I think is what it was, 1865, two years later. Because Texas wouldn't release slaves yet. For two years, they lived in that in-between. I know what's been signed, but I'm still stuck where I'm at. The struggle is real because I understand who Christ is. I understand what what Abraham Lincoln said, but we're still here. Is anybody else still struggling in life even though they're saved? That's the stuck part that theologians say that we're in. And here's what's crazy that we're finding ourselves in. Christ has come, yet there's still opposition in the world. I love the verse, though, because the Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail. I know this is stupid. But y'all understand a gate is not an offensive weapon. How many times have you seen our SEAL Team 6 running after Al-Qaeda, holding gates? you know what they do come? They bring breaching charges to blow up their gates. Because the enemy knows he's on the defensive now. For years and years and years, he was actively on the offensive. Then Christ came, and it became this shift of power, and now for the last 2,000 years, he's building up his gates. He's defending himself as we are taking the land. But we see the struggle when we pray for the sick. We see the struggle because sometimes, and I hate saying it, sometimes it works, and sometimes. Have you ever prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed? You pray for somebody and they did get healed. Yeah. Do you ask yourself what did you do differently? Mm-hmm. I do. It's like, did I have my left foot up into it? What's that magic move that I did that created that connection with God? <laughs> I get. That I'm being stupid, but that's seriously like, okay, so today that person got healed. I prayed this prayer. What what did I eat for breakfast that day? And we start backtracking what we did so right to make that connection happen. It's part of the in between, y'all. It's part of the done but not yet. We see the struggle and we see injustice. We see the struggle when we see hate. We see the struggle when we see death. Then there's a couple of verses of what's to come that I love. You can find them in Joel. You can find them in Ecclesiastes. You can find them in Amos. And in that day the mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills will be overflowing with milk. All the stream beds of Judah shall overflow with water and the fountains of the earth shall come forth. It's a picture of prosperity, of abundance. What he's saying is there's a day that's coming that we will see the victory in its fullness, and the enemy will forever be defeated. So much so that the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and we'll watch the Episcopals take that mountain. (laughs) And we'll follow after them. And the Baptists will hide it, and then they'll go into the closet. Oh, man, we'll get get to that spot. (laughs) Uh, Ecclesiastes says that there will be no remembrance of former things. It's going to be so good, you can't even remember what was bad. Think about that. I don't know about you, but I could go for that verse right now. Anybody else, where the blessing is so good, you go, I think there was something wrong. Can you imagine when you get to that eternal spot with God and they go, what was your life like? It was always awesome. Because that's going to be the mindset you're going to find yourself in of going, what was the big deal? That was great. No, that was no problem at all. Think about that. He's writing to people in this context that have had their skin laid open. It's going to be so good you don't even remember it. I feel like I'd remember that. And here I am struggling with my faith and unbelief because I can't get the new thing that I want. (laughs) I can tell you all something if that's not something to put your hope in, if that's not something you can place your joy towards, I don't know what else we need. It's from a position like this that we pray, we don't beg, but we pray joyful prayers, joyful in the context that we know what is to come. We worship not to try to manipulate God to do things my way or to do something for me, but we worship because we know what He is going to do to do we should have such joy for our future events for what's taking me out hear me out that even if i take my last earthly breath i'm still full of joy because of the next breath on the other side that i'm about to breathe the bible says that christ looked at the cross with hope that doesn't sound hopeful But he knew that that temporary pain would produce so much more. He endured because he knew what was taking place. And as we light our candles this week, we remember what he has done and continuing to do. And we have joy knowing what's about to take place. I'm not talking about superficial happiness. I'm not saying that you can't have a bad day. I'm not saying you're not dealing with depression or you're dealing with shame or other issues, but what I'm telling you is as we go through those things in life, we should understand that there is joy in the hope of tomorrow. Your future is better than your past. Come on. Your future is better than your past. You haven't peaked. This is a horrible example, but I'm going to go for it anyways. A couple weeks ago, we watched an SEC championship game, Alabama-Georgia, All right? In my opinion, it was a great game. Does anybody know what was on TV the week leading up to that? The Alabama-Georgia game of the national championship game was on repeat. I remember watching that game. If you don't remember, it went into overtime. I think it was like third down and 20-something. He throws a bomb in the end zone for the win. To it's uh, Devonte Smith. I remember watching that game. I remember my stomach being in knots. I remember sitting there watching him get sacked and go, "What are you doing? Throw the ball away!" Thinking the game was done. I have vivid memories of watching the Georgia fans high-fiving each other because they knew they won the game. And then the bomb, and the touchdown. The roar on one side of the, uh, of the field and the silence on the other side. And the, oh my gosh, we won. But last, or two weeks ago when I watched it, it wasn't the same way. You know why? Because I was watching knowing what's to come. I watched Georgia score and smile. <laughs> I watched Tua get his brains beat in and smiled. I watched the sack excited to watch him go down because I knew what was next. What if you lived your life that way? With that much expectation, anticipation of, <laughs> I went down today, but bro, you have no idea what's coming tomorrow. It's cute. Good good sack. You about to get punched in the face. You think you won right now, but your side's about to be silenced for the rest of the time. Can I tell you that God has more for you than marinating on mediocrity? And the enemy has tricked us to thinking that joy is just being numb. I love it because I think our culture has learned to self-medicate the longing. We found ourselves that longing for something is uncomfortable, so we replace it with activities and busyness. We do what we can to fill the void with cheap imitations. It's like the person who's longing for the relationship that God has promised them. Their husband, their wife, whatever it is that they've been praying for. But in the meantime, I'm going to go with the cheap imitation. You know what always happens with cheap imitation? Pain. Pain always takes place. Heartache always takes place. Walls and gates around your heart always get built up. Because whenever you replace the true thing for an imita- imitation, there's always repercussions. And that's what our world has been doing the past, you know, forever, I guess, is trying to replace joy with a cheap imitation of entertainment. I don't want to sit there in the longingness for what's to come, I'm going to take the cheap imitation. We don't wait for the manufacturer so we take a cheap imitation because they give us quicker results. The problem with the cheap knockoff is that it's cheap for a reason. It's made fast. It's made with less qualities. It's made to look good but not to perform long term. It's got all the bells and whistles of appearance but not the internal unseen qualities until it's too late. In the 90s, the band, U2, wrote that song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that's what he's been doing is he's settling for cheap imitations, trying to find something new. And I want you to hear me like, when I tell you this, that you don't lose heart and true joy in the longing and the waiting because it's worth the wait. Your hope and joy in your future should fuel you to pray, to ask, to Worship. We don't have to pray to ask for worship to God for do something, but it's in what He's doing that we're praying, we're asking, and we're worshiping in advance for. Last but not least. Positional joy creates somebody as a herald. Luke chapter 2, verse 38. And coming up that very hour, she began, this is Anna, to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel for Jerusalem. Luke chapter 2, 15 through. 3rd through 20 has the story of the, the shepherds out there, and they see the angels, they see the child, and they run through the town, declaring, heralding all the things that they have witnessed. Here's how I'm gonna lend this plane. I've told you about joy. I told you that it comes from the Spirit. I told you that it is rooted in hope. But there is an application that has to be taken, and that is this: genuine joy will always lead to gratitude and gladness. And gladness and gratitude always leads to somebody's mouth opening up and talking about it. You want to know if you've got true joy? What are you talking about? I'm not talking about just confessions for confession's sake, but out of your gut, are you declaring and proclaiming what is to come and the goodness of what's taken place? Every day, Monday through Thursday through Friday, my child goes to school to declare what's about to take place on a Friday. She hasn't opened a present yet, but she lets everybody know because my t- her teacher gets on to me for it. Can you tell her to stop talking about presents? I'm like, nah, sorry, I can't. That's McKenna. <laughs> That's the child I've looked at before and be like, you do this again, I'm going to spank your booty. And she goes, it's worth it. <laughs> and if y'all don't know me, I swing like I. It's not like, oh, no. Mm. She'll weigh the, she, she weighs it. I've told him, like, it is what it is. I'm sorry. Punisher in glass. But she goes on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, and on a Friday declaring what's to come. And that's exactly what our lives should be like. Because a person who's operating out of joy declares what God is going to do. C.S. Lewis says it like this. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but compliments the enjoyment. It is, it's appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed as you guys go home and you light your candles with your family as you go through the good things that God is doing it's an opportunity for us to sit down with our children and not only tell the joy of what God has done not only tell the joy of what God is doing but also to sit down and tell the joy of what is to come In the back, as you guys get ready to leave, we've got some devotional things to do with your family Monday through Saturday. Sit down with your your husband, your wife, by yourself, whatever it is, and go through joy. I would also encourage you that you write down what God's placing in your heart. What are the things that you're hoping for that God has placed in your heart? His words, his promises, his deeds that you look forward to. Because it is through that hope that our joy is manifested in a deeper way. That we can endure hardship because we know that pain may be here today, but joy is coming in the morning. Our joy is rooted in who He is and what He says He's going to do. Our joy is not rooted in our entertainment. Our joy is not in our lack of bills or because we have a lot of money. Our joy is not rooted in our health. Our joy is not rooted in our position and our job. Our joy is always rooted in our position and alignment with who he is. There's an ever-flowing joy coming out of who he is. And he wants to fill you up today, too. Before service started, or, or during, during worship, we sat down and, and we were worshiping, and we had this, this, this word that came out, that God wants to heal your spirit, your soul, and your body. And we had people come up, some for physical pain, some for emotional pain, some for spiritual pain. And today I want you to hear me when I say that God wants to fill you up with joy, that no matter what the world does, it cannot take away your joy. That when the world persecutes, okay, it is what it is, because my happiness, my joy, my fulfillment is not wrapped in a temporary thing, but an eternal blessing. But what happens, Mr. Lane, if you don't see it and you die believing it gets passed on to the next generation, baby. My heritage comes from immigrants. It's what, okay? So all of us do. And I wonder, as they, if they could have gotten a time capsule and seen my life, if, as they were on the ships, as they were spending their money to get across the seas, as they were going through the hardships of finding a job and not having any kind of assistance, and just pulling themselves up by the... If they would have a smile on their face knowing the generations of blessing that their one action would create. Did they experience the same freedoms and joys that I have? Absolutely not, they did not. But they were setting up for another generation. They didn't look at it and be like, oh my gosh, that next generation's gonna get it, I'm not gonna do it. If I can't experience it, I'm not doing it. No, no, no. Because a person who is godly leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And leaving joy as an inheritance of something that they're hoping for is part of being godly. They should, as a parent, we should infuse into our kids something that they should be joyful for. Not just grateful for a present, hopeful for a future. Amen. God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that as we wrap this up, that you, oh God, are the greatest joy giver. That God, we find ourselves rooted in, and grounded in the hope of who you are. Not just the things that are done in our lives or the temporary satisfactions or happiness, but God, we just ask right now that as we, as, as we wrap this up, that, God, you, that you pour out, God, you fill us up with joy that we align ourselves, that sometimes it's a painful process to, to realize that we are not going to stay victims, that we're not going to stay in our, in our weakness, that we're not going to stay in our pain, but God, we're going to move forward in who you are. That God, we look with expectation of hope for our future, and we just thank you, God, for this day, for this moment. We thank you, God, that is this season of Advent's going on, God, that this season of, of looking towards you and, and reminding ourselves with our family that, God, we have something to be joyful for, that is a hope and a future that is bright. That our best days are ahead of us, not behind us. That, God, you have declared that we are the head, not the tail. Above and not beneath. That everything our hands touch will prosper. That, God, that by your stripes we are healed. And, God, as we live in that in-between, we activate and we we explore, we expand, and we are constantly taken down gate by gate by gate, ever-increasing, ha, ever-increasing your... your, your um, your reign on this earth, bringing it closer and closer day by day, and we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.